You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. a better church than you used to be. (laughs) Makes me want to stand and preach when I hear you celebrate and praise Jesus Christ. Thank you for doing that. We don't get too carried away, but we need to be somewhat carried away (laughs) because of what he's done for us, right? Silence is sinful. Unless you're meditating on your own sin. That's different. But when we come to praise Jesus Christ, I think it's wrong to be silent. We're in Romans 14. It's a continuing series. We just have one week left after today. It has taken a long time to get to Romans 14. As I've said the last number of weeks, you can't dive into Romans 14 until you understand Romans 12 and 13. The precepts given to us in 12 and 13, we have had to walk through and obviously uh, understand what is the nature and character of a believer in Jesus Christ. And that is written for us in in clear black and white script in your Bibles in, in chapters 12 and 13. The primary precept, of course, is verse 1 of chapter 12 of Romans. The primary issue in all of our lives is that by the mercies of God, we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. That's that's the starting point of walking in Christ and living for him. All the rest kind of follows suit with that. And we've gone through all of those uh, to even the point of just how we process those in leadership over us. In chapter 13, we talked about that. Then we finally spoke about loving one another and the evidence of that in our lives. All this is primary, setting us up for the text of chapter 14, which I've said all along that most churches do not have troubles over doctrine. Most churches have troubles over the little things that irritate us. Things where we differ, where we have confusion about what is right and what is wrong as my lifestyle of a believer. That has always been the major issues in the church that have just rifled through many churches. From the music to how I looked, how I dressed, to what I do, how I think, how I act, all those things are taken into view, and Paul wants to address those through principles in in chapter 14. But no principle works if I, first of all, don't have precepts effective in my life. So now we come to chapter 14. We've been there last week. We started with two issues, two primary issues in verses 1 through 4, that there are uh, going to be almost two sides to many issues. He says there's one person who is weak. There's one person who is strong. Uh, Interesting that the weak person is more inclined to be the one who's legalistic, who's judgmental. Uh, The weak person is the one who often criticizes others for how they live. Uh, because of perhaps their newness in the faith, or they haven't grown in the faith. Then you have the other person who's considered the strong one in the text. This is the person who's understood what grace means to them and freedom in Christ, and they are now expressing that. 
And as we'll see as we go through beginning the principles today at verse 5 and on, that the interesting is that Paul mostly majors on speaking to the stronger believer, not the weaker one. We'll see why in just a moment. But we've come now to verse, uh, I'm going to read the whole text, although we're starting at verse 5 today. We'll go back and pick up from verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. We're going to call those doubtful things disputable things or gray areas, if you want to call them that. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for the Lord has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another person esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Pray that God applies his word into our hearts this morning as we meet together. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, approach these things, we need to hear the heartbeat of you in our lives and through Paul's writing, the understanding of what you're calling us to. As we think about being a church in this day, in this modern day, we realize the battles and struggles that many churches have over all kinds of issues that have been divisive and have corroded the the truth and the spirit of God on great places that have, some have gone empty. We have the day and age where it's so hard for us to get along, let alone families, and then you have the church that's so blended and we find so many different things that we don't like or that we do, do like. And so sometimes the offense can be not so much understood, but we struggle in these things. Lord, help us to be a church where we can have a spirit about us that can allow for uniqueness, creativeness, allow for the differences that people have in their lives as they come to faith and as they grow. Help us to have a level of tolerance and yet also maintain a strength of what we do believe. Keep our church pure and holy. And yet, Lord, also keep us as a church understanding and loving. We ask you to apply these principles into our heart today. 
Keep us unified as a body in Christ as we seek to follow you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> this is Sugar Creek. Okay? Sugar Creek. Some of you don't live in Sugar Creek. Most of you don't live in Sugar Creek. How many of you do, uh, how many of you do live in Sugar Creek? Would you confess? Would you admit it? <laughs> oh, yeah, we have a few. We have a few. All right. This has been a regional church for a long time. Most of our folks are from Dover, Philly, Strasburg, uh, even beyond Sugar Creek. Uh, we got Walnut Creek. We got Berlin. Anybody here from Worcester? Wow. Well, praise the Lord, brother. Good to see you. So we have lots of folks from all over the place, plus those who are visiting, and we're thrilled to have uh, you with us today. Uh, but this is Sugar Creek. Let me just remind us, Sugar Creek is a conservative community. It's made up many uh, and mainly of, I think, Mennonite and Amish, plus sprinkled in a few of the rest of us who, uh, who live in neighborhoods around town here. And as you know, most of us uh, know that these folks, uh, who, especially who run businesses, uh, close them down on Sunday. And uh, it, it's tough for us to leave here and go find a restaurant. We have to go to the pagan towns. <clears throat> if you want to eat somewhere, you can't eat in Sugar Creek on Sunday. I think there's one or two places you can find, and most of you wind up at the pizza place, and that's great, you know. But, uh, but you know, they're, they're all the good big restaurants that this place is well known for, they have shut down. Matter of fact, when we're traveling, if we're near the uh, mid to the East Coast, you know, my family uh, always wants to go to Chick-fil-A. It is not one of my favorite places, but that's where they like to go. And uh, it's closed on Sunday, and sometimes that's been a disappointment, remembering that, oh my, yeah, that's right, this is Sunday. They close. They're, they're good Christians. <laughs> you know, and so we struggle sometimes with these things. And obviously, I want to say that even though these uh, companies are shut down on Sundays, and I think that they have at the heart of that, and I've read some things online, that they would like to give preference to their family and holy things, religious things. If that's the motive for that, you have to look at their businesses and say, you know what? It's interesting that most of them are thriving fairly well in the market that they have today. That's impressive. And at at issue on this may just be God's law of keeping the Sabbath day holy. You know, one person, we read, one person holds a particular day above the others. Uh, And then you have the other person who considers all days equal, and some say it's wrong to work on Sunday and so on, and you have all that issue. Uh, interestingly enough, now in our text, I'm not going to do a, a, a deep study on the actual motives here that are in this text, because we're talking about those who have come out of the Old Testament covenant of law-keeping, who came from the Sabbath mindset of honoring the Sabbath day with all the rules that went along with that. Then you have new believers who are finding uh, freedom in Christ, who, are, uh, who have transferred their idea of Sabbath to Sunday, the first day of the week. And you have this sort of mixed, mixed crowd in the church now, and, and there's this discussion and debate and oftentimes uh, legalistic uh, applications that become critical and, and con- condemn, condemning to some believers about the fact that they're so free in Christ and they've changed the day and now they're, they're not even uh, abiding by some of the laws that applied to the Sabbath. And there's all that issue that takes place as we transfer from one era to another. Well, here we are today, uh, generations later, and we still have issues about this. And you can see it uh, even in here in our community. Uh, it's, amaz- it's, it's amazing to me that uh, uh, there are all kinds of restrictions that the Sabbath thinking has 
And when believers take and transfer some of that thinking into today's world, into the Sunday, first day of the week to honor Christ, and applying certain uh, you know, legalistic sort of statements to that, it becomes a very interesting process of, of dividing uh, churches over these things. Uh, uh, you, know, you have this blessing of the resurrection. We celebrate Jesus and what he's done for us, and he has set us free from the law. And so I praise God for that. No one here can keep that law exactly, so we're thrilled to be saved in grace, right, and walk with Christ. But here's the thing. Paul comes along, and he makes a statement to all of us that's very important for us, and it's principle number one. When he says in verse 5, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. The starting block is that we all have to say, this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it. And I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, all my life, I knew my parents were Christians in the ministry. And because of that, uh, we were told to do certain things, be a certain way, uh, behave a certain way, look a certain way all through our life. And sort of the, the pressure on ministry kids is that you have to conform and be sort of like mom and dad and sort of skate through and not embarrass mom and dad and, you know, be this, this person that sort of fits into this mold of many rules and regulations. And I can tell you that many rebel from that as they grow older. And I think I did. And, and just so you know, though he talks about this in uh, verse 6, he talks about uh, he who eats uh, to the Lord, he eats, or he who does not eat, eats to the Lord. It's not all about food, right? How many, uh, don't, uh, don't raise your hand, just think, how many of you mow your lawn on Sunday? Don't raise your hand. I don't want you to confess. <laughs> I don't. Because I live in a neighborhood where I will be criticized and evaluated by Christians about the fact that I have the freedom to do that, but I don't do that because I don't have the freedom because I grew up thinking that, you know, there are some things where I want to honor Christ and, you know, resting and all that has sort of been put into my mind. But there, some of you mow your lawn. I know who you are. You mow your lawn on Sunday. It's okay. It's okay. You have to be convinced in your mind that that is right before God. That's the starting block here, right, for, this, uh, for these principles as he begins this process of helping us process how to do that, what to think. Here's one for you. Why is it that we have to dress up on Sunday? Who made that rule? Who invented ties? I, I, I haven't looked it up. I should look it up. Some French guy, I'm sure, in France, you know, foo-foo stuff, you know, invented a tie with lace on it and all that kind of stuff, you know, cute stuff. Uh, who told us that we could dress down for Sunday? Because some of you have a real problem with jeans and T-shirts and holes in the jeans on Sunday. And you're just saying, hey, I'm just being holy. You know, that's just what it's all about. <laughs> if we're going to dress up on Sunday, why don't we wear tuxes and gowns? That's what I used to say to my parents. Because <laughs> I knew they didn't have that in the closet. It's, you just dig a little bit. I, I, I don't know who established all these rules, but I know they all flowed out of a time when there was a great sense of giving honor to a day and what that day meant to people. And I know that that's an issue we have to sort of work through. When I was a kid, we went to, uh, we had a cottage at Winona Lake, Indiana. Winona Lake, Indiana is the uh, home place of the Billy Sunday Tabernacle. Now, it's gone, and most of you who don't know, know what that is, it's okay, but in the 50s and 60s, early 60s, but early, uh, 50s, even the 40s, that was a very uh, uh, fantastic, famous place for evangelistic meetings. 
had a dirt floor. It was just a big thing, held over, over 3,000 people. I got saved in that building. And I can just remember in that place that as you, uh, uh, right across the street from the Billy Sunday Tabernacle was a little two-lane, little two-lane road, just a little peaceful road coming into a little tiny town called, you know, that, that's there. And then uh, up above the uh, Tabernacle is uh, the uh, Grace uh, College and Seminary, which, you know, that's a brethren crowd. And they bought that property of Billy Sunday Tabernacle, tore it down, and now it's more of like a park and very nice and uh, our cottage was just back a bit. And so this little two-lane road separated all of this from the beach, the public beach. And, and it's owned by brethren. Okay, if you know anything about the brethren, they're fairly conservative. And so here's this beach. And on the beach, on a big sign, because we would always drive there after church on Sundays, and we would probably stay a day or two, then go home. So I'm a little kid looking to go swimming on, in the beach. It's the only sand beach around. But the big sign says, no swimming on Sunday. You gotta be kidding me. And then right below that, it's uh, you know, another, another sign that, that, that's no uh, uh, two piece or bikini swimwear. I didn't care about that. But my sisters did, so they had to wear t shirts. And then the, the one below that said no smoking, no drinking. At least you knew exactly what you could not do. I uh, climbed up on the, they have a swan pond there. It was Sunday morning. We were going to hear Billy Graham, actually, and I was climbing up on the swan pond. I fell in with my suit and tie. My mom got so mad at me. <clears throat> she wasn't worried about me. The clothes got messed up. Silly things we remember about places that we go. John and Shirley, Marilyn and I, and, of course, Joel, you were too young, but back in the day, we went to church at the open door, and uh, I recall when we joined the church, we received a piece of paper with a list of do's and don'ts if you want to serve Jesus. <laughs> and I remember you had to sign at the bottom line. And I remember my wife and I discussing, okay, we can't go to movies? Well, what about Walt Disney movies? No, I can't do it. Okay, okay. So we have to sacrifice to serve. Okay, well, let's sign it. And we did. And, and it wasn't that painful. But we abided by those rules. All kinds of stuff. Are they right or are they wrong? These are the things that we struggle with. And uh, obviously we have to work through that process. The point here in Paul's first initial statement is this. Having a list of do's and don'ts, which both sides are going to argue about, will not yet even assume that a person is, is fully convinced of certain standards. And what I've seen in the church is that many will come and they will conform, or I would say perform, in order to gain favor with certain leaders and peers so that they can be involved in the church and be accepted, but they're really not fully convinced. So what happens is when a person leaves behind a legalistic family or a legalistic church, church with a list that says that you're spiritual if you do this and this and this and this, when a person leaves there, it has often been noted by myself and others that there's a tendency for them to appear as though they're becoming very uh, they're changing and they're becoming almost more worldly in the fact that they almost swing to the other side of freedom where they want to just push limits because they've been under this shelter for so long. So Paul's concerned that whatever side you take, be fully convinced. And I can tell you that's not an easy thing to pull off. And I had my own concerns and, and concerns about that. And I'm sure some of you today still struggle with certain things you think you can or cannot do on Sunday. We don't have a set of rules to Alpine. I was visiting with someone this week, and they said, you have rules. I said, we do? <laughs> yes, you have rules. 
Well, okay. And, and of course, the uh, issue uh, bringing up was the fact that I require membership if you're in leadership here. And yeah, we, we do have some rules. We, we, we have them. And, and yes, that's probably written down in our statement of bylaws. <clears throat> but we don't have a list of gray area rules for you. I'm telling you, you decide before you come here how you're going to look. But I've got to tell you, there have been times in my own personal journey here where I find myself sometimes wanting my rules to kick in and govern this place. You know why? Because sometimes it's so difficult for all of us to handle this thing called free choice. It was tough for Eve, and it's tough for us. And because of that, uh, there are times when I just wish I could just dictate. No, you can't wear that. Go back home and change your clothes. That's too immodest. Uh, that's too sloppy. You're going to give me... So I, I, I could pull, pull that off and you'd all be very miserably unhappy with me. Just like I said last week, you don't want to see me dance. You don't want to see me come up with rules. <clears throat> Sorry, that was an inside joke from last week. I, I want you to see that there are uh, reasons why I think it's so critically important that we understand that it, as we're talking about here, first of all, about being absolutely convinced the the next principle is given to us in verses 6 through 12. Let me re- review that for one second. Here's the next principle. It says, he who observes the day observes to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. He gives thanks. No one, uh, None of us lives to himself or dies to himself. If we, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, we live or die. We are the Lord's. He, he's basically discussing here the issue of, and I think this is the principle, am I then pleasing the Lord? If I belong to him, am I pleasing him? He's, he wants me to sort of put a stake in the ground and say, this is what I believe and I'm firm on this. But also, I must have this second thing working for me. Is this then pleasing the Lord? And one thing's clear from our text that whatever we choose to do or whatever we choose not to do, it is ultimately always for him. It's not just for me, for my good pleasure. So I know that oftentimes I joke, I'd be silly about certain things, but I know that if I just make quick snap decisions about certain things I want to do, sometimes those snap decisions are really not good choices because I didn't consult him. I'm not thinking about him right now. I just want to do something I feel like doing, and I do it. And then after I do it, I sometimes realize as I look back, that was probably not something that pleased him. Can you relate to that? Am I pleasing him? Why should I be concerned about whether I please him or not? Let me just give you three quick reasons. I'm going to use a separate scripture for this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, if you would join me, you'll see that text, or you can write it down. 2 Corinthians 5. Why should I be concerned if I please him? We all know basic answer, but I want us to see what the Word of God says. In 2 Corinthians 5... Paul makes a statement here in verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. First, you'll you'll note that this is reflecting back. This is reflecting back to precept number one. 
Matter of fact, when you go through these, you'll find that many of these reasons all go back to Romans 12.1 and Romans 12.2. So he's just saying here that I realize that all have died. Then he says, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So again, here's the second principle. Am I pleasing him because it's all about him? It's never about me. If I've died to self, then Jesus Christ is the primary source for whom I am to please with my choices and, and my decisions. So when someone says, I have my own mind, I can do my own thing, I always refer back to, no, no, none of us can do our own thing. Here's the second reason. Uh, you can write this down if you want. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Most of us know this passage. I'll read through it real quick. 18 and 19. He's talking about the price paid for us. He says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's the price tag he paid. I would add to that 1 Cor 6.20. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, he says this, for you were bought at a price, reflecting what Peter had said, Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's so interesting how we can turn this principle on and off. When I decide to do something for myself, I switch off the God switch. I just go and do what I want to do. Later on, I get in trouble. I confess. I come back. I turn the God switch back on. I want to get back right with you, Lord. It's amazing how we can compartmentalize God and do that and just sort of on and off play this game with him. And uh, Paul's reminding us, as we think about our freedoms in Christ, we have to be very careful that we remind ourselves constantly, no, 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 no. You have made a sacrifice of yourself before him daily. You're not his. He died for you. He owns you. He bought you. He paid for you. He's the decision maker in my life. I'm to please him. Third reason is in verse 10 of our text in chapter 14. We just read this a bit, uh, a bit ago. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will give an account. I'm going to give an account. You say I'm going to give an account for gray areas? Yes. Yes. I'm going to give an account for my freedoms in Christ? Yes. Because it's all been given to you as you follow him. And obviously as we follow him and we die to self, our choices that are all to be pleasing to him, we belong to him. We are his purchased possession. We'll give an account for those decisions. And how quickly we can lose sight of that. So he tells us here in verse 10, that well, then why would anyone judge or criticize a brother or sister in Christ if that's the case? Matter of fact, why would anyone here criticize or despise or look down on a brother and sister because they're not like me? Are you getting the point here? We're all so involved in being accountable for ourselves. I'm not going to be accountable for what you do in those gray areas. That's, that's your life before him. Matter of fact, I have to understand something, and so do you this morning. We must, and this is really hard, folks. We must come to an understanding that for me to not judge or to not show contempt... I must believe that, that myself and you have a godly approach and a godly approval for lifestyle choices. 
I have to trust that you're mature enough to make your own decisions and I can't impose my decisions on you. Are you understanding what I'm saying here? Now watch this. You, you gotta catch, if we believe that we're the only ones who practice spiritual choices, then we'll always approach others with a judgmental, condescending attitude. And that's the problem. We don't trust anyone else to be as spiritual as we're trying to be. And that has divided the church deeply, has hurt believers. Do I have an expectation? Yes. I have an expectation that that you are tracking Christ just as I am. You have an expectation on me that I'm tracking Christ like you think I should be. That's something we trust each other with. That that is not a given, but it's something we trust. We we must lay down our arms and say, I'm trusting that each other is trying to endeavor to be and walk the spiritual life in a right way. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, he made this statement, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the motives of the hearts. It's going back to, uh, are you sure that what you're doing is what you absolutely believe in? Are you absolutely convinced? Are you making sure that you're pleasing the Lord and what you're deciding to do? Because if that's true, then obviously then we're all in the right place, even though we might look and appear different in some of the things we choose to do. It's easy to look good on the outside. It's easy. Years ago, I read a book. I, I used to live by that book. I, I've, I don't think I do anymore, but it was a legalistic arrogant thing I used to do with that book that came out back, I think, in the 70s, uh, Dress for Success. I would write that to say, I would, I would read that book and say, okay, I'm going to impress the next person I meet by how I look. They're not going to see the flaws. They're just going to see the shining armor. I've learned over the years that that's a facade. It's like, a, like the Lord said, it's like a whited sepulcher. You can look good on the outside and be filthy rotten on the inside. And sometimes we come into church and we try to show off the shining armor, but deep inside we're not doing well. And sometimes it oozes out, but many times we are here long enough, we're not with each other long enough for it to sort of bleed out and we'll see the difference. But sometimes we catch up and see what's going on and hopefully we can bring that thing to a change. I hope that today we're all concerned that our choices and our, and our actions are pleasing the Lord and that we are in our conscience absolutely convinced that it's right before God and it's approved by Him. The third principle is in verse 13 and 14 of our text. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. All right, so uh, this third principle then gets more into the nitty-gritty of things here. Freedom and grace. To have God's freedom and his grace on our lives is the most precious thing to have. And it comes with incredibly, incredibly deep responsibility. That part seems to be left off. We treat grace with such... I don't know, laissez-faire kind of approach to it. I, I, I've got this uh, license, this freedom to do whatever I feel like. And, and that seems to be often applied in many different places. Many different believers tend to think like that. 
And uh, while those are free to think in that sort of casual mode, there are many others who are watching those who feel less restrictive and have this sort of sense of no restraint. And as others watch them, they're struggling deeply. And this is what causes this rift. Uh, Interestingly enough, and I would not indict any particular person, but there are ministries today. As a matter of fact, this morning we just had a chat about one. That as you just sort of watch some of these new ministries that have sprung up, and some of them are very large, and you just see this uh, message of, uh, of, of acceptance, this message of not just tolerance, but, and not just kindness, but you know, obviously including, including everyone, the idea of inclusiveness, to the point where we want to be so nice and open and free that we, we don't want to talk about sin, we don't want to talk about what's right or wrong, we, we've lost the sense of how to do that, and because we don't want to offend anyone. And so in, in the light of trying to do that, to build a crowd, we're becoming so watered down on what we believe, we don't know what we believe anymore. And so all those who go to those churches, I know because I know many of them, who come out of and have, have sort of you know, been run out or they've come out of more legalistic controlling places, and I don't approve of that, but as they come out of there and go into this big sweeping grace freedom thing and they come into that, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air. But all of a sudden, then their lives turn to making choices and, and living lives that are completely opposite of who you would think they might be. We are, are people who struggle with freedom. And the Lord has set us free. Not that we can explore all the freedoms of the universe. He set us free so that we would find a way to follow him without him demanding that we just sort of do point one, do point two, point two point three, do point four, or I don't approve of you. That's never been the message of Jesus. But he does, in principle, call us to follow him a certain way. And that's where we need to operate. And here's, here's Paul talking to the stronger believer who has this freedom. And he says, don't be a stumbling block with your freedom and your grace. Be very careful. Uh, when I was in Canada, pastoring in Canada, I had a, the, uh, in all of uh, Ontario, the director of uh, Young Life came to meet with me. And uh, it was in my office. We were going to have lunch together and we got in discussions about my perceptions of young life and his uh, trying to be a selling point to me about how our youth group and his could work together and so on. And I was not resisting that, but I was uh, just interviewing him, thinking about some unique things. And I asked him some pressing questions because I knew that young life workers, many of them, have have some... uh, freedom that I would never have, and they're going to obviously lead that into students, and I didn't want our students to be exposed to some of that, so I just flat out asked him. I said, look, uh, you and I uh, love Christ. We, uh, we want to follow Jesus. I, I appreciate what you do. I, I, I'm thankful for the uh, philosophy that you have of trying to build up uh, churches through youth groups and so on, but you guys aren't accountable to anybody, and you have freedoms that I would never express to our students. I'm not a legalistic guy, but, you know, I know you guys drink, and I know, you guys, I know some of your workers uh, I have caught smoking. That's not the issue so much as just I'm concerned about your freedoms, where that's all going. And we had that discussion. We went out to eat. He had a beer. I had a Coke. And uh, I could sit there and talk to him and not be embarrassed that he had a beer. I, I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, my, if my elders see me today, I'm really going to get in trouble. I wasn't doing that. We were in a restaurant. And so I think it's okay to have fellowship with someone who's different than us. But I also think there's wisdom in how you align yourself with different people. 
And to what level? So, you know, some of you here may drink, and if you do, uh, God bless you. Uh, I'm going to talk about that next week. You'll want to come back. <clears throat> Please come back. I'm going to use a case study of a pastor and I who really had it out about that. So you can come back next week. That'll be exciting. All right. But obviously, if I'm a stumbling block. So here's the thing. There's several things I want to just sort of think about. You might want to jot these down. Uh, I, I kind of went into this last week. These are just some questions that you need to ask as you think about your freedom in Christ and whether or not you're a stumbling block to someone else. But I can tell you this before I get to that list. I just want to say this. A, a converted pagan. Listen, a converted pagan. When I say pagan, please forgive me. I'm, I'm talking about somebody who doesn't know anything about Jesus. Doesn't know anything about Christianity. But they find their life being changed by Christ. And they're coming into a new mindset. And, and as you're speaking with them, that person coming from a what I would call an unsaved, unknowing pagan background who comes to faith, that person has an automatic built-in expectation that they need to change certain things to be a Christian. I've never found anyone yet who comes out of that background who says, I'm free, I can do anything I want now. That actually comes in, they come in the opposite way. I am so not free anymore because of what I've done. I, I need freedom from what I've been doing, not freedom to do something else similar. I'm just telling you. And so in, in light of that understanding, here's some questions. <clears throat> I gave one out last week. I'm going to go through them again. Would we dare suggest to a converted former alcoholic to join us in a social drink? Question number two. Would we dare suggest to a young believer, maybe a student, who came out of a family situation of abuse from drinking... To sit down with us and have a beer. Now, those are some that we all can talk about, but here's, here's a completely different way of thinking. And why is it that, and this is my own beef about something, why is it that Christians can so nonchalantly make comments on public media or even show things that we should know is inappropriate to say or do among believers on a Sunday? And are we so foolish to think that God doesn't see our online posts? Because I am just finding sometimes a very sad moment reading certain people's posts. And I ask myself, uh, of course, I'm, you know, I'm from my position, I'm, I'm being very critical sometimes of everybody's life, including mine. But I look at that and I say, do they not understand what they're saying or what they're doing or what they're exhibiting or what they're expressing? Do they, do they not get it? Are we so blind and naive that we think that, and how can I have two different personas, one at church and, and one over here, you know, whatever we're doing? I mean, how do we understand that? I'm not picking on anyone here per se. That's your job before Christ to uh, process that. Here's the other thing is that the impact that we don't understand we're having on someone else who 
wants to know more about you because they saw you across the church and they really don't know you very well. So let me go look at their Facebook posts. Are they on Facebook? They get the directory, they find your name, they go on and then they see you and they go, wow, (laughs) that person has freedom in Christ like I don't have. I I can tell you that when we uh, went to the uh, process of looking for two guys to come on staff after we lost uh, the other one, I, uh, of course, had talked to Brother Dave, who was here this morning. Love you, my friend. Dave and his mom and his wife. But uh, I consult with Dave a lot when I need to. And, uh, but in this particular case, I said, I'm looking for some staff. And he said, come on down and we'll help you maybe find somebody. So I was so thrilled to do that. But while I was in the process of doing that, I went on some guys' names given to me and some names given to me by some of you. And I went on their Facebook pages and I can tell you that immediately I saw things that were absolutely contrary to who I'd want here in the character of presenting Christ to you. No way would I do that. Just take them right off. And it was probably some stupid comments that they had. You know, one was what he watched for movies. And uh, there's there just all this stuff. But just the, the freedom that we want to express to sell ourselves to people is oftentimes a, a huge damaging mistake as we don't understand the weaker ones around us are looking for leadership and influence. And when they see that, they're either going to judge us or they're going to follow us. Only their following will be against a guilty conscience because they're not ready for that. Mom and dad, I'm going to tell you right now, your freedoms that you have in Christ in your home may lift up that glass to Jesus Christ and say, in the name of Jesus, I drink this drink. But I'm telling you, your kids are your fragile opportunities to make a difference in their, in their life generationally and for their whole future based on what they see freedom in Christ expressed to them. That's why I'm... I'm very concerned that mentors of our kids, especially out of this flock, that you are walking a life that is holy before Christ, that you are living a life dying to self and alive to Christ, that you are exemplifying that to our kids because our children deserve that. They don't need a mentor saying, you have freedoms, you can do whatever you want as a Christian, isn't it great? No, that will kill them, many of them. Generally, we are unaware of just how people are measuring us. I've made many mistakes in my life of trying to express freedom, and I've had to learn sometimes the hard way. One day it was really hot. It was really hot. It was probably 98 or 99 a couple of years ago. We haven't had that in a while, a couple of years ago. I was mowing lawn. We have a backyard. We don't have a fence. We have a backyard that's covered with a huge hedge over here. And it's got a big uh, tree line in the back and got some trees on this side. And so it's fairly private in the backyard. And I was so hot. I took my shirt off, you know. I'm out there in the ugly body, you know, with just a pair of shorts. And I'm just like slaving, pushing that thing along, sweating like a dog. And as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm not caring about who sees me. But my precious wife saw me. And she was more embarrassed than Michal, who was embarrassed at David's dancing. What are you doing out there, you naked guy? Get in here and put a shirt on. You're embarrassing me. You're an embarrassment. People know you're a pastor. What in the world are you doing? I got scolded by my wife. I know, it's just so hot. Well, who cares? You need to sweat anyway. Put the shirt on, you know.
that uh, neighbor, we have a neighbor, we have several neighbors, uh, some, uh, one, to, uh, one, to my, one to my south, uh, they're both not well, and they both uh, profess to be religious, but they don't know Christ. I've prayed with them a few times, a couple of times now for their health and stuff. I got a neighbor on this side who's Mennonite, and she's a wonderful, well, actually, she goes to the Methodist Church in town now, but she's a, a wonderful lady, godly lady, and she uh, plays the organ at the church, you know, so she can see me out there. And, and I got uh, the people across the street who are believers in Christ. They, they, go to Monday, they go to Sunday and Wednesday nights. They're very faithful people, and they see me, and they, they don't want their kids seeing that naked man across the street. That's the pastor of a church you don't want to go to, honey. <laughs> so I don't do that anymore, hence. That was really a dumb moment in my life. Paul hits on one more we have time for, just one more. We have time, we'll finish this and we'll finish out next week. But in verses 15 and 16, he says this. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. This question to me is this. Am I expressing love? Don't let your good be spoken of as evil. Our freedom in Christ, as we know, can, if it's expressed wrongly or carelessly, can cause great distress, even cause destruction in someone else's life while we're stressing that freedom. Even if I'm absolutely convinced that something's okay, even if I'm absolutely convinced, even if I think I can do this and please Christ, if another person is offended or confused by my actions... If that's the case, then I must consider the higher calling of exercising my love through abstaining such freedom. Are you hearing me? Paul is just saying, I'm convinced it's okay. I know that when I do this in the right heart attitude, I'm pleasing God with this. I don't believe that I'm being a stumbling block, certainly not intentionally, and I don't know who's around me to really think about that, but I I haven't really thought about how my family might process this or my good friends and so on. They all seem to think like it's okay, but maybe they're just putting a facade on for me. But bottom line is, am I expressing love to them? Paul said it this way. Therefore, if what I eat, I'm reading out of 1 Corinthians 8, 13. It's my last verse today. 1 Corinthians 8, 13. He's saying this. Therefore, if I eat what causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. You who are stronger in Christ, having grace, and freedom in Christ are held responsible by that freedom in Christ that you do not negatively impact or draw someone who can't handle the truth, as we've heard in a movie one time. If you can't handle the truth, you, you, you cannot be allowed to influence others to a point where they then can't handle your freedom like you do, and they do trip and fall over it, or they will be always behind your back uh, criticizing that freedom because, again, they see it through a set of of principles or rules that they have established in their mind that they can't get out of. 
And I know that what happens is Christians say, you know what, that person needs to go to a different church. Or maybe I need to go to a different church. If the whole church is going to criticize me for my freedoms, maybe I don't belong here. Out the door. And the call this morning, the call today, is for all of us to realize those who tend to be strong in personal beliefs, you who are strong in that, you must be very on guard today concerning weaker saints around you who are watching. And you weaker saints are called by the Lord to be trusting that that stronger person is and has consulted with their Lord that they are wanting to please him in their lives and in their freedoms. And there's this mutual trust that must be in both of our lives as we try to hold ourselves together in a unity that says, I love you for what Christ has done in your life as he's done in my life, not by how you perform to please me. This is so important. And there will be, of course, discussions when we'll have them about those who go over the edge and go too far, and we'll talk about that. But for now... This is that principle which will keep a church unified over all the disputable things. Precept number one is always my first thing. If I have died to self, then I will not impose self on anyone else. If I have given my life to him and I have died to him, my endeavor is that Jesus Christ lived through me. That will be the thing that hopefully you and I will see together as we walk this walk together. I'm asking you to be that kind of Christian, and you certainly want me to be that kind of person. And as we walk that way, let's do this together. That will make a great congregation, don't you think?